All right, very good. Very good. Um, according to Facebook this week, all across our local community, there are clean microwaves in every... <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. We, we've had pictures of people doing it, testimonials of them getting it clean finally, of stuff not dripping into their, you know, instant whatever it is that they're sticking into the microwave. So that, that is absolutely amazing. So if nothing else, during this purity series, microwaves are purified. It's absolutely incredible. Excited about that. And what God, I'm just kidding, what is being done. So that's, that's really good. So last week we started a series uh, called Number Purity, and it is a series on purity. And we discussed that purity isn't just one thing. Purity is actually the way you live your life in various aspects. So um, we, we did that. We often start a discussion if somebody wants to remain pure, if they want to follow God, if they want to do the right thing. We often start the discussion with, with this question to that person. What commitments have you made concerning sin, right? Well, um, I'm, I kind of have a problem with that. I'm, I'm, we're a part of an organization that that has this phrase called um, impacting lostness. And I was in the meeting where, we, where they came up with that particular thing. And, and I, my, my response to that is, well, Britney Spears impacts lostness. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We want to reduce it. We don't want to impact. But anyway, I know what they mean by it. I'm just being caretakerous. But anyway, when you start to get to this, when you start the discussion by saying what commitments... Have you made concerning sin? To me, it's like, well, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to sin. I've made a commitment to sin and I'm going to do it. So instead of asking that particular question, what, what commitments are we making concerning sin, we should do the question more like, what commitments have I made to remain pure? What commitments have I made to be holy? What, what commitments am I doing? And it's really important. I know it's semantics, but it's really important because when you start thinking in terms of what commitments have I made to remain holy, it is different than if you're making a commitment to try to stop sinning. It's kind of, that's kind of a negative vibe to it. I'm, I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying not to, it brings down. But if you, if you make a commitment to be holy, to be pure, to follow God, that's kind of a vision and something you strive for and something you reach for rather than something that you, you're trying not to do. So the call is, is not to quit sinning. The call of God is to be holy as he is holy. First Peter says that. Be holy as I am holy. Reach for holiness. And ladies and gentlemen, if we reach for purity, if we reach for holiness, we are not going to sin as often because you can't have that as your goal and continue to sin. You can't have that as your goal and continue to go down the paths that we often find ourselves going down because we are reaching for something bigger. We're reaching for purity. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter one. <clears throat> Daniel chapter one. Daniel chapter one. Daniel 
Daniel chapter 1. Now, there, there's four characters in this passage of Scripture that we're going to be focusing on today. And it is Daniel, Hannah, <laughs> I love these, Mishael, and Azarin. You might know the last three as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? But their original names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azarin. So that, that was their original names. Um, that was who they really were. You see, these, these four people, these four kids, they're probably 15 to 16 years old at the beginning of Daniel chapter 1. These, these kids had come from the nation of Israel and was moved to Babylon. So they were taken out of where they had lived, and their parents, who believed in the one true God, named them this, these names, and that is who they had their identity in. Not necessarily the name, but as much as God himself. So that's what starts Daniel chapter 1. So in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. That is a packed verse. Um, first of all, the Lord gave Jehoiakim. In other words, the Lord allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to take over Judah, to take over Jerusalem. If you look in scripture, this is because it's a punishment because they had not lived pure. They had defiled themselves. They had not followed God. And so God is now judging those people. So God gave them into the hands of the enemy. I reminded the people on Wednesday night during our Bible study that God has a line somewhere for his people. And so if you cross that line, he will give you over to punishment. He will give you over to something to try to get you back to him. And this is precisely what has happened. So the Lord gave the king of Judah into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. In this first chapter, and we're not gonna get into them all because this isn't a Bible study, but in this first chapter, there's a setup for the other stories in the book. In fact, the vessels are gonna be used later by, by a king, and he's gonna be judged for it. It's the Babylonian king, and he's gonna be judged for it. So that's, that's a setup for all of that. We know that Daniel, the whole book, especially the first six chapters, is actually a historical narrative. This, these events happened. And so when it says the vessels of the house of God was sent somewhere, and that sets up a story in the future, that lets us know that whatever happens today sets up our tomorrow. So if something happens to you, if you do something today, if you act this particular way, that is actually setting up your future. Now, can you change direction on that future? Yes, but there's certain events that happen to us, decisions that we make that actually set up stuff that happens to us later in life. So that's a message within itself, right? And then the last part of it, he brought them to the land of Shinar. I don't know if you know this or not, but that is where um, the Tower of Babel was. So he brought them, if you read Genesis, that's where that tower was that they built. And then there was languages and all kinds of races that happened as a, as a 
as a um, result of that. So Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So verse three, then the king commanded Aspenaz, hopefully, his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So Daniel, um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azaran, who is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which you would know by those names, were chosen because they were youths without blemish. Translation, they were handsome. Translation, they had muscles. Translation, they were good to look upon. So we wanted these kids without blemish. The king didn't want someone with a blemish within his presence, so he was choosing people without blemish. Of good appearance, which goes right along without blemish, and skillful in all wisdom. In other words, he didn't just choose the person down the street that was just average. He wanted people that were skillful, that were smart, that were intelligent to be a part of his, his, um, his kingship, his, his uh, I, I can't even say the word now. I had the word, but now it's gone, and you know how that goes, right? So whatever that is, that's what he wanted. Fair enough. Obviously, I would not have been chosen. Um, that's, that's how that would go. So skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understands. In other words, they understand what they learn. So he, he wanted people that were smart, endowed with wisdom, and people that could adjust to different types of learning. They could learn this, they could learn this, they could learn this. And so it would have a broad spectrum of knowledge concerning things. So he had them brought, and this is the reason to teach them the literature of the language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned for them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. So he was choosing these people. He was going to send them to college, right, for three years to educate them concerning the Babylonian culture. So if you picture this, this was a four 15 to 16-year-old guys that were taken from their home, from their parents, from everything that they knew, placed in an environment that was far away from home to be educated on a different way to live. I'm going to pause a moment. Can we have a little more light in the congregation? Some of the faces are dark and they're frowning. I'd like to see that. If they're smiling, oh, yes. Y'all are beautiful people. Just beautiful people. I would take you all to Babylon. Not really. <laughs> there, there are reasons why I couldn't take you. Um, Second Amendment, other things like that. So anyway, nonetheless, um, so, so here, here was somebody. So they were taken out of their environment. Now, there is a certain percentage of people that once they get out of their house, they live differently than what they were raised, right? 
They live differently than what they were raised. I don't know if, if it's a high, you know, how high the percentage is, but it is a high percentage of people. The reason that they do that is because when they were growing up, they didn't make commitments. They didn't make commitments to God necessarily, like their own commitments. They just followed the rules of the home and then they, then they, then they left. Is everybody tracking with me? So here are four guys that have the opportunity of every opportunity to live exactly the way they want to live. No parents, they're no longer around the temple, everything that they taught is back in in Jerusalem and they can make any choice that they want to make and live any way that they want to live. And they are living in the upper crust of society. Like you talk about, the 1%, this is the 1%, probably even 0.5% of the entire world in richness that they were going to, this land of Babylon. And it was very, very nice, very lush. They probably have never slept in a bed like they slept in before in Babylon. They'd never had this type of instruction. They'd never learned this type of stuff. They'd never been in this environment. And so verse five, when it says, the king assigned to them a daily portion of food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank, what you need to understand is they were offered the best of the best even to eat. This stuff not only tasted good, but it smelled good. Come on. It smelled good. Have you ever just, I don't like Burger King, but have you ever went by Burger King? And it just like smells so good, right? There's a new place in Clemens that smells good too. It's, it's the habit. It's a burger place. It's the habit. Too expensive for their, I, I think. It's a hamburger for Pete's sake. Why are we spending this much money on a hamburger? But it smells so good. And their chicken is good too. I've had their chicken, little chicken sandwich with, with barbecue sauce on it. And you go in there and it just smells so good. So here's an environment where, <clears throat> where there's this food that just smells absolutely incredible, right? And, and you just have a desire to eat it. Have you ever walked into your house and, and whether it's your wife or your husband or somebody's grilling out on the back or something and you smell that smell and you just want it? I have a neighbor that every now and then cranks up the grill and I can smell it and I know what he's cooking on his grill. It's steak. Because there's a different smell for steak than there is for chicken, okay? If you don't know the difference, bless your heart. Bless your heart, but there is a smell for steak. And when it goes to my house, I'm like, man, we need to have steak tonight because you smell it and you just want it and you desire it. So you go out and you go to a food lion and you pick up the chicken because, you know, (laughs) sometimes it's not on sale, right? So you you pick up the chicken and you you have some grilled chicken. But here's a great smell and they are smelling this. So these, these guys, they're smelling all this. So verse seven, the chief of the eunuchs gave them the names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar, and Hena, he called, it's Hananiah, sorry. He called Shadrach, and Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Amazing. 
It smelled good. It looked good. There were a host of reasons why he should probably do it, right? This, this Daniel guy. Um, if he was to refuse, it would be a slap in the face to the king who's given him his portion of the food. Are you tracking with me? If the peers that were brought there with them, the people that they grew up with were eating it, right? They were doing it. Um, they could be demoted if they rejected the food, right? Um, they could have reasoned within themselves that God allowed us to be taken from our homes, so we're gonna eat this out of spite to him. Don't tell me nobody in this room has ever thought about that. I've lived right and God's treating me this way, therefore I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna do this sin. What a stupid logical progression. Absolutely insane, right? But they, they didn't do that. And the parents were gone. So there's nothing, there is absolutely nothing here that would push Daniel to say, I can't defile myself with this food. There's nothing here that's pushing him in that direction other than his character. And his character a long time ago, he decided that he was gonna live a life that was pure and undefiled and the way that God wanted him to live. And so he made that decision back in Jerusalem. And so when he was taken up out of Jerusalem to a different environment, to a place he never thought he would be, and he was presented with something that would defile his character, that would defile who he is, that would change who he is, he stood up and said, no, I am not doing that. It will defile me. I'm gonna try to figure out how to do something else. How many of us in life have wound up in a situation that we were not ready for because we had not made a commitment to be pure? And when we did not make that commitment before we got to that particular situation, when that situation arose, we dove right in and we did whatever it was. All of us, right? Come on, church, this is church, right? And the reason that we dove right in is because we had not made a commitment to be holy as God is holy. We had not completely thought that through with every aspect of our life. So when we made it to a point where something was presented, we jumped right in and we went in head first. You see, this commitment is not just be holy as I'm holy. It is an identification. It is myself identifying with Jesus Christ who died for my sins, who is also holy. And I identify with him and he is my identity. And so instead of me trying to fit in with these people and do this thing, I have identified myself with a holy God and I'm gonna be holy as he is holy and that identity is what drives me to say, hey, time out, I can't do that because it's in the Bible and that is wrong and I have got to be holy because my identity is not in these friends that I'm with, it is with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And I will stand and be holy even though this is presented to me and I will resist this temptation. How many of us just have never really 
made that commitment for all of our life to be pure, to be holy, to be attached to Jesus and identified with him so that we're ready for the moment that we are tempted, so that we're ready to say no, 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 no. So this is food. What in the world is wrong with food? What is, what is wrong with going through Lexington and smelling the barbecue and stopping off and eating some of it? What is wrong with going to my favorite place in Greensboro, North Carolina, across from the Greensboro Coliseum, Stamey's? And smelling the smell of the hickory in the air and being like, oh, I know I've got to get there, but what is wrong with eating the king's food? There's a couple of things. First of all, the food was unclean because they were not preparing it properly. In the Old Testament, whether you like it or not, but I like it, okay, it told them how to prepare food and how to do it properly for their health. And so the food was probably not prepared properly. Did it taste really good? Oh, I'm sure it tasted really good, but it wasn't prepared properly. They were probably eating pork and other types of animals that God had told them not to eat. Now, we don't understand this because we, we eat, like I just mentioned barbecue, I just mentioned other stuff that the Gentiles eat, right? But back in these days, these animals were the epicenter for diseases and for bad health and for, for stuff that just wasn't good. So God told them not to eat those. Now, in the New Testament, when you get to Acts, God tells us that we can eat anything, right? You, you can eat barbecue or chicken livers. It's up to you. Okay, there's some of you that really like chicken livers. Ugh. I ate one of those one time and it's livered. Like that, and you just kind of felt it kind of go, you know, and it felt like it just broke apart and spread to all parts of your body. Oh, nasty. Whew. There's a lot of stuff I'll eat before I'll ever eat another chicken liver. I was not prepared for the moment that I was offered that. I had not made a commitment not to eat chicken livers early on. I made it to the chicken liver point in time, trusted the guy, ate it, and he laughed. Just not. But they were ready. And so here he says, no, we can't defile ourselves. And he had three friends that decided to stand with him. So verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Another reason that this is not a good idea either is because this food, the meat and the drink, was offered to idols before it was offered to them. So aside from the pork, aside from the stuff that they weren't supposed to eat, this stuff is offered to another god. This means, because this is the belief system in that day, that if they ate of that food and they looked good after they ate it, that God that it was offered to would get the credit. And Daniel and his three amigos did not want that God to get the credit. They wanted their God to get the credit, the one true God to get the credit for how they were eating. 
in what they were doing. So, and when God gave, and, and God gave favor and compassion, verse 9, in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than all the youths who are of your own age? So you will endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuch said, assigned over Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, this is not a passage of scripture that says that we should all be vegetarians. Okay? I am a vegetarian once removed. Thank you. So think about that. Vegetarian once removed. That's what I am. So this is not a scripture. Because they, they could eat they could eat lamb, right? They could eat other stage. So this is not what this is about. This is about taking a stand for God and being a witness for God. This is about being pure and keeping yourself undefiled and not succumbing to peer pressure and doing things that you're not supposed to do. Now, all of us had a moment in our lives where we were under the thumb of our parents, right? I'm assuming that everybody in this room had a parent. If you're not shaking your head, maybe Area 51 is real. (laughs) Right, so every one of us had a parent. We moved away. And it's at that moment in our life that we made some key decisions how we were going to live. And we, made, we may have made the wrong choices. We may have made the wrong choices before we left the house. But for some reason in the course of event, you, you got to a place in your life where you realized that your choices that you had been making were not working out as well as you thought they were working out. And so you came back to church because you wanted your choices to be different, right? There's some of us in the room that grew up in church. And whereas we kind of went our own way, we basically stayed faithful to the church over the years, right? And we're here today because we don't want our choices to be incorrect. We are all faced with choices, whether or not we want to remain pure in life or whether we will defile ourselves with stuff that we shouldn't be a part of. We all have that choice. We all have those two things in front of us to either go this way or this way. And in order to go the way that we're supposed to go, we have to make a commitment to God that that is who we are going to stand with and that is the way that we are going to go and we are going to be holy as he is holy and then every sin that we do seems to start falling away from our lives And in a matter of time, we become better people than we were three years ago. Better people than we were five years ago. Better people than we were 10 years ago because we made 
that commitment. But it has to be a commitment. It has to be a commitment. Um, I'm not trying to start a movement, but I have a refrigerator at home. Okay, I have a refrigerator at home. I have permission to tell you this story. So when you go over there, Nicole's just fine with this. Um, Nicole and I are polar opposites. I don't know if you've met her, but she is different than I am. And it's not just because she's a girl and I'm a guy. It's not that. It, it's we think differently. We process differently. We do things differently, okay? So our refrigerator, um, and I breathe in a lot, but I open my refrigerator door, and there's a lot of stuff from time to time in my refrigerator, okay? Because my wife collects food. She doesn't collect a lot of other stuff, but she really collects food. So if we go out to eat, she's going to get a doggy bag and she's going to stick it in the refrigerator because she might eat it for lunch one day as a leftover. I am not a leftover person, okay? I will tell you the food item that I will eat that's leftover, soup. Oh, come on. Soup is better the next day. You make a fresh pot of soup, it's not as good as the next day when all the flavors are together. I will warm up some soup. But the chicken that we got from Zaxby's three weeks ago, I am never going to eat it. I'm absolutely never going to eat it. My wife, my wife, and she's giving me permission to do this, so I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. She will eat stuff that's out of date. Like, like we have these cans, she'll eat those out of date. Um, she will eat stuff in the refrigerator, like drink milk. She'll smell it. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's okay. And she'll, stuff, clumps are falling. In. She'll drink it. <laughs> she'll drink this thing. Hot dogs, hot dogs that are out of date. I, I just can't do it. But she will do this out of date. She said, it's, it's not, it's just a suggested date. <laughs> it's just suggested. That's, that's all it is. And so she will eat this stuff and she will tell me, it, this doesn't hurt me at all. I can't tell you why I think that it does hurt her, but nonetheless, it, she thinks that it doesn't hurt her at all, okay? Remember, I have permission for all of this, okay? I have permission for all of this. So I will get, because I'm somewhat of a neat freak, and I've, I've worked on it because I have a wife, and she, she cleans and stuff, and she puts stuff up, but you don't understand how I, how I really am. I, I like stuff to be a certain way, and I really have to keep myself, right, Angie? Right, I have to keep myself from, from straightening up. So I open the refrigerator, and every now and then, it's about once a month, I've, I've had enough. And I will dive into the refrigerator, and I will wipe it out. So my wife will come home, and she'll open the refrigerator, and she'll ask me, where's that chicken we got at Zaxby's? I was going to eat that for like, I mean, she'll remember stuff. She doesn't remember other stuff I'm moving the house. Like, I can change an entire room around with pictures and stuff. She will never notice it for months. But if I take the chicken that she wanted for lunch out of the refrigerator, she'll remember every item that I threw away, every single item, because she knows what's in the refrigerator, even though it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. 
So I take this stuff out. I take the, the good food out. I dump it out. I put it in the dishwasher. I wash them. I put them up. I take the science experiments out. I have green stuff on it. And I, I dump them in the refrigerator. And I clean up the refrigerator. And I make my refrigerator pure. Right? Everything is in date. It's pure. It's holy. Nobody's going to get sick, go to the bathroom. None of that if they eat what's in the refrigerator after I am finished with it, right? We had stuff, anyway, it didn't matter. We, we do that. So the other day, I'm in, I'm in the refrigerator, and um, I'm doing it while she's at work. Like, she grooms dogs. She does an awesome job. I'm used to her just being gone for a certain amount of time so I can do the stuff that... <laughs> right? So this, this is me, yeah? And you're thankful right now that I'm married to her right? So, so I'm, I'm like going through the refrigerator. She comes in and I close the refrigerator door, but my mistake was I left the pizza hut box on the counter. Now the pizza looks like this, okay? Looks, you know, it looks like it had some type of seizure or something and it's, you, you're curled up and stuff. So I left it there and I was hoping she wouldn't notice it, but she notices food, So she says, what are you doing with that pizza? I said, well, I'm going to throw it away. And I I took it because it's been in there for two weeks. It's time for this box to go. So I start going to her. Wait, wait, wait. I want to see the pizza. She follows me out the door almost to the trash can to see the pizza. And I open it up. And she looks at it and said, okay, it's curled up. You can throw that away. Right? A lot of us have a lot of stuff in our hearts that we need to clean out. There's a lot of stuff that is very damaging to our character, very damaging to who we need to be for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to clean it out. The problem is we keep stuffing stuff in there. We watch this movie, we look at this picture, we listen to these people. We, we drink too much, we do this, we, we lie, we around people that are taking us the wrong way and we keep stuffing it into our hearts. And Jesus, who is OCD when it comes to holiness, is allowing his Holy Spirit to kind of push back on that and tell us you need to clean out, you need to clean out, but we keep stuffing stuff in to kind of hide the Holy Spirit and damping him down so we can feel good about ourselves and continue to live the way we want to live. You see, you are going to sin as long as your conscience gives you permission. And if you do not allow the Holy Spirit to guide your conscience, your fate, your Your flesh is going to guide your conscience and you are always going to keep stuff in your heart and in your soul that is very damaging to your character and who you need to be for Jesus. It is time to clean out our hearts. It's time to look inside and say, what is still in there that's crumpled up that I just need to get rid of? It is time to be bold And say the prayer, Lord, search me, search my heart. And if there be any wicked way within me, you reveal it to me 
so that I can ask forgiveness, deal with it, and get it out of my life because I want to be holy as you are holy. I want to live a pure life in every aspect of my life because you are pure, because I want my identity to be in you and not in the world. I want my identity to be in you and not in all this junk that surrounds me, that is trying to get my attention, that is trying to pressure me into doing the wrong thing. We need to clean out our hearts. We do. I don't know about you, but I found in my life that I'm good. I'm good up to a point. You ever find yourself like that? That you're good up to a point? Like you can make a commitment and then the next thing that happens, you're really good at that. And then you look back on that victory and you say, hey, I was really good there, right? I made the right decision there. But, but then somehow or another, you forget your commitment. I mean, I've done this before. You forget who you are. Oh, come on. Somebody shake their head because it's hard to be vulnerable when people are like, <laughs> Right? So, so you, you, you kind of step away, and then all of a sudden you, you jump into something that you didn't intend to jump into. It's because you got sloppy, because you got this victory over here, and you think everything's good, and you, your commitment kind of faded because you didn't keep the fire moving. You know what I mean? See, it's hard to live a holy life. It's hard to live a pure life. It's hard to live in that. It's hard to keep that in front of you. The good news is, unlike Daniel and his three friends, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that can help us. It can help us do it. We have no excuse, really. So, so to remain holy and, and to do that, we can actually do that. But it, it, it takes work. It takes focus. It takes reaching for that vision. It takes reaching for that holiness. If you fast forward to chapter three in this book, Three of his friends, Shachrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I know most of you know this story. They stand before a king, and they say, we will not bow down to that king. And the king says, well, I'm going to throw you in a fire if you don't bow down to me. You are going to be, there is a punishment for you not worshiping me. And the king said, and the guys say, hey, we're just not going to do it because we're going to obey God rather than you, and we only worship him, and we're not going to worship you, and that's just the way it is. He said, well, I'm going to throw you into the fire. They respond, you can do that, but I want you to know that our God has the power to save us, but if he doesn't save us, it does not mean that we are not doing the right thing. We are doing the right thing by standing up to you. And even if he doesn't save us, it doesn't change that fact. You see, they stood before a king that didn't know who he was. He couldn't figure out what his identity was. He was still trying to be all that and impressive to everyone around us, around him, I'm sorry, to everyone around him because he wanted their approval. But here are three guys that didn't care what he thought because their identity was in something else. Their identity was in God. Their identity was in the book. 
They knew who they were, and you can call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all day long, but they knew what their real names was. Come on. So here's a king that didn't know who he was. He was trying to prove himself to the world. Here's three guys saying, yeah, we don't have to do that. We are secure. So he heated up a fire so hot that the people that threw them in died. And they were thrown into this fire. And when the king looked into the fire, ever how he looked did that. He saw four people walking around rather than three. And they were pulled out of that fire. They didn't even smell like they were in the fire. Their bonds had been burned, but that was it. No singeing, no singeing of the hair. Have you ever lit a grill before? And it, <laughs> I think about that. Every time they come out without singed hair, I'm like, man, phew. and you talk about something smelling like chicken. It, when you're... <laughs> So they come out and they stand and he saw an extra person with them in the fire. Do you know what the secret of purity is? The secret to living your life pure is living your life in such a way that someone else gets the credit. It's living your life in such a way that when they see you, they don't just see one person, they see two. It's always you plus one. And that one is Jesus Christ, and it's undeniable. You live your life in such a way that, hey, Someone else is getting the credit for this. Someone else is getting the credit for what I just did. Someone else is getting the credit for what I just stood for because it's not about me. My identity is in him and he gets the credit for it all. And when you live your life in such a way that someone else gets the credit, Jesus Christ, it is the moment that you turn the corner and it's a whole lot easier to live your life purely It's a whole lot easier to live your life in holiness. It's a whole lot easier to make the right decision. Because when I sit down and I'm around a bunch of friends and they want me to fit in with them, I'm not living for them. I know who I am. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. And Jesus needs to be seen in my life. It's always me plus one. Amen? That's how you live. I could go on with this. You you fast forward to chapter six. What happens? Daniel, they tell him not to pray. He prays. He gets thrown into the lion's den. Who do you think he's in the lion's den with? God. Now, did the king look into the lion's den and see someone else in there with him? No. But when he's taken out of the lion's den, that king says, Your God saved you. It was Daniel plus one. And Daniel lived his life purely because it was always him and someone else. Isn't that an amazing picture of the gospel? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. But my Savior reached down and added something to me. His grace, 
his mercy, his love. And he grabbed a hold of my shoulders and lifted me up out of the mess and placed me on the solid rock so that my life from that point on could be me plus him. Our culture is so, so defiled. I, I, I know that there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on. I know that there's people ripping up papers. There's people cussing. There's people. It, it's just, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And if you were to talk to people that are doing these things, they would th- say, hey, I'm doing the right thing. Right? I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what's right. But it is so wrong. It's so wrong. You watch a TV show, and what's put up, put up with on a TV show that's put in front of us today is, is just not pure. Right? And there's just so much around us that wants to get our attention, that wants to get us thinking differently, that wants to get us to do something different, to identify with something else rather than Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that all that stuff is crap. It's horrible. It leads you down a path you don't want to go and gives you a life you never wanted to have. But Jesus, but Jesus wants to lift you up out of all of it and make you holy as he is holy and give you a life that is pure, a character that is respectable. He wants to paint a picture for you and make your life something that you cannot make it alone. Put your identity in him. Live your life as if someone else gets the credit and that person is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So, with that said, I want us to stand, and we're going to do that responsive reading thing again. I'll read the black ones, you read the white ones. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Dame. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, 
bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Let's pray. 